absolutely need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. This is Dave Debo. For the program today, we have two different topics. One is racism in New York State prisons. The other is housing solutions in Buffalo. Coming up in just a little bit, Sarah Frazier and Teresa Watson from People United for Sustainable Housing, Push Buffalo, will be here talking about some of the reforms that could possibly change the housing climate across all of Buffalo. They'll be up in about uh, 20 minutes or so with Jay Moran. But first, let's dig into the prison system in New York State. A New York State Attorney uh, Inspector General report earlier this month found that the black and Hispanic incarcerated individuals throughout the entire system, but especially around here at Attica, were more likely to be disciplined than white incarcerated individuals. And so we thought the one person who can talk most about this would be Jerome Wright. He's here with us now. Jerome is the head of the Stop Halt Solitary Group and has worked in prisons from across the state for several years. He himself is a formerly incarcerated individual. We'll get into all of that. Jerome, thanks for being here. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Before we talk about what's in the report, let me outline some of the things that are in the report. Well, we'll go through the bullet points, I think, one by one here. In New York State, the inspector general found that a black incarcerated individual was 22% more likely to be issued a misbehavior report than a white incarcerated individual. A Hispanic individual, 12% more likely to be issued a misbehavior report. And an incarcerated individual categorized as others was 9% more likely to get a misbehavior report. I'm betting... I mean, I can see it on your face right now. This does not come as a surprise to you. No, and it is just a testament to that. If you don't learn from history, you're deemed to repeat it. And um, I, my, my personal story is, is intertwined in this. And but, but I would like to say, first of all, Dave, thank you for the invitation. Glad to do it. Second of all, we're talking about a topic of racism, and I want to thank the station for having a piece here remembering their name of the 10 individuals from our community that were murdered in a racist attack. In the studio where we do this program, we have a poster with their names and their ages, and uh, just a reminder to mention them every now and then. So that, that's indeed what Jerome is referring to. I think it's where this program springs from, the idea that the top shooting not only killed 10 people, but brought to light some issues that we need to discuss. Yes. And yes. in so doing... We broaden it here eventually now, so it's not necessarily about the east side and Jefferson Avenue. But you said it, that this report is strictly, basically racism. Well, let me tell you, my story is is the genesis of this. In 1990, I was a plaintiff 
against the Department of Corrections in a lawsuit, Santiago versus Miles, federal lawsuit here in a Buffalo federal court. That lawsuit was about racism at Elmira Correctional Facility. The same issues that more black and brown people were getting disciplined. They didn't get the same jobs. They didn't get the same housing. We're talking about in, incarcerated people. And um, we won that lawsuit. It was proved undeniably that there was a a a system of racism at Elmira, which really permeates the entire system. And this was in 1990. So after the lawsuit, then reforms must have been instituted and everything's fine. And this report is why, why hasn't it changed? Well, first of all, you can't reform something that is inherently broken. You have to change it completely. And what we have now is a system where you try to put a Band-Aid on it and it really needs, you know, surgery and you can't fix it. You can't fix it doing what they're doing. And racism is the issue here. Why, when you have a population that is predominantly black and brown, do you have these disproportionate numbers in all of these areas, not in one or two, in every area of that system. So how do we fix it? The uh, report from the inspector general says more training, specifically on implicit bias, although I bet you would argue that this is not implicit, um, and that they need to gather more data, figure out exactly what the problem is, and then target solutions based on what that data reveals. I am going to be totally honest with you. That's not enough for you. This is how you fix it. You have to get rid of Anthony Anucci and that entire administration that that's right there now that has curried this for years, decades. You need change at the top. You need to bring in people who are one reform minded and who recognize that the paradigm of punishment we've been using does not work. It doesn't promote public safety. It doesn't make people safe in there. It is a failed experiment. What does discipline look like now? Do they just take a a prisoner and, and write them up through a series of graduated warnings until, what, they put them in solitary? I just need to correct you. There are no prisoners. We are incarcerated Incarcerated individuals. individuals. And that's all right. And that's a new moniker, one that's long overdue. But words are important. And and calling somebody a prisoner or inmate dehumanizes. Calling them an individual and a person humanizes them. And if the system humanized us, we wouldn't be having these problems. Okay, so incarcerated individuals break rules, get written up one, two, three, four times before thrown into solitary. No. Take me through the process. No. What does it look like? First of all, you can get written up and not do something wrong. So you, your, your, your premise was that you have to do something <laughs> wrong to get written up. All right. I've been written up several times for not doing anything wrong but exercising my right to, to talk about issues, to rally people around, to help individuals. So let's take off the table right or wrong. But are, you get a ticket. Are the wrongs uh, enumerated in advance? In other words... I shouldn't be ticketed for driving 50 miles an hour in a place that has no posted speed limit sign. In the prison, are the rules posted? And can they say, sorry, Mr. Wright, you just did this, X number one. Sorry, Mr. Wright, you just did this. No, they don't do that. No, they give you a rule book when you come in that's, I don't know, a half inch thick with all the rules in there. But see, when you have a system that is as draconian and as authoritarian as that is, they don't even follow their own rules. They break their own. That's why I'm working with HALT. Right now we have a law in effect, in effect that they're not even doing. 
What's the law? What should, what the should they do? The whole solitary. They should not be locking people in for more than 15 days. They should not have any of the excluded groups of people in there, which they always have. People with mental illness. Nobody with mental illness should be in solitary confinement, black, brown, or otherwise. And they got them. In, they have them in there. No person under 18 or over 55 or with a physical or otherwise disabled should be in solitary confinement. They still do it. And listen, the whole premise behind solitary confinement, we need to separate you from population. I get that. I agree with that. Some people. But need you to be contend separated. it has become punitive. It is torture, not punitive. It is actual Worse. torture. Yes, because what you do is, first of all, I don't know any problem that you have that you Put it, lock it away, and you go back to it later, and it solved itself. So if, if this person is a problem individual, they need more services than you're giving them, which is none. HALT requires that you give them programming, you give them treatment, you give them therapy, you give them congregate a, a recreation, none of which is being done. How many of the misbehavior reports that are outlined in this IG uh, discussion, how many of those, how many strikes before you end up in solitary? One. That's it? Depends on the nature of the charge. Depends on the nature of the charge. You can go to South. This is what I'm telling you. It is a total abuse of authority. You can go to solitary for any reason. When the HALT law enumerates the only reasons you should be put in solitary. But you can go for anything else that they want mm. to. Now, listen, there's a list. Like the penal code has these laws listed. HALT has these other violations that demand solitary. They don't do that. They, when they, whatever, whatever they decide to put you in there, that's when you go. You said that the biggest solution would be reform from the top. Um, does this obviously include a purge of racist officers? Would that be? Would that do it for you? I don't know how you can do that. I don't think how you can tell if anybody is inherently racist. You know, I mean, their actions usually de de delineate that they're racist. Right. But people, people who are racist don't always act on that, you know, because they don't want people to know that. They play the game. So I don't think getting rid of race is... But in this report, it says they do act on it. Again, a black well, incarcerated do. individual, 22% more likely to be issued a misbehavior report. That's an action. Can they measure that? Um, they, they did in this report. Could they measure that in the um, facility and then say, is gee, it? your record is you wrote up more blacks than whites. They could do that. They have no vested interest in doing that, and they're not going to do that. But let me give you an example. Here we have, here we have an officer who everybody knows. All incarcerated individuals and the staff is a problem, maybe racist, maybe just abusive, right? Everybody knows this. If I wrote him up for doing what he does that's wrong that everybody knows, they're going to support him. Regardless, and everybody knows they being the system, the system, yes, the sergeant who supervises him, the deputy of whatever uh, program that is that's over. The, they all, you know what? Ninety-five percent of the of anything that's filed by an incarcerated person comes back non-unfounded. So, if you can't tag a particular officer as racist, and they are continuing to commit racist offenses. What do you do? You do what we're doing right now. You talk about it and you ask the public to stop holding your head in the sand and to get involved with what's going on. Because this is this prison is only a microcosm of what's actually going on out here in the society. 
Oh, no, we got to get into that, and we will when, in a little bit after the break. But I, I do want to get you to comment on um, the response from the prison system yes. uh, in this Inspector General's report. And by the way, uh, as soon as this program is done, as soon as this segment is done, while Jay Moran is talking about housing coming up next, we will tweet out a link to this entire Inspector General's report. So if there's anything here that we're talking about that sparks your interest, you'll be able to read that and go a little bit more in depth. We're also going to throw a link up at WBFO.org. But in the Inspector General's report, it says uh, the Department of Correctional Services has responded with this. The complexity of attempting to link causal factors of racial disparity in the criminal justice system is well documented in social science literature. As the report states, it's difficult to determine with confidence whether or not any particular racial disparity is the result of implicit or explicit bias or is the result of structural, legal, social, environmental factors. I think what they're trying to say, and I don't want to put too much in, too many words in their mouth, is you can't measure this and say that guards are just being racist toward blacks. It might be that there's something else going on, and they... they they say that the something else could be a variety of things, but that the measurement isn't easy to do. Buck back against that. Gobbly gook. Isn't that the word? <laughs> Gobbly gook. I like how they, that, 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 to the unlearned, that sounds really logical. To somebody who's experienced that, if you know that an officer is racist, you can get him out of there. But the union and everybody is colluded in this. The union will support an officer who they know is racist, who comes into the facility with a baby, with a, a black baby with a noose around its head, who belongs to organizations that we saw during the January 6th uprising here in, in, in Washington. They know who these people are. All right, now, again, Tentative argument here for the sake of uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. I would bet that if you went to Noscoba, the New York State Correctional yes. Officers PBA, mm -hmm. and said, you're supporting the wrong guys here, part of their response would be, in a prison environment, I'm not going to cut the legs out from under my guard. I'm going to support my guard because my guard is at risk on a daily basis. That that level of support isn't necessarily institutional racism, they would probably argue that it's it's the blue line. It's it's supporting your own because the environment is such where if you don't, people are at risk. We're back to the macro micro discussion. You have you wanted to wait till right. after the yeah, break? Yeah, no, that's cool. Okay, because I'm saying it is. Suppose cops out here. That's what they feel. That's why you have a blue line with officers where they won't rat on each other, but they demand that the community rats on each other. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's that blue line where it's not about right or wrong or law and order. It's about we support each other. It, the cops are the biggest gang in America. Don't the officers need to have visible authority over the population? And if, if you start... What do you mean? What does visible authority well, mean? The support of those above them. Um, if they're doing lawfully the right thing, gotcha. nobody should be. Listen, in every industry, including yours, there are people that everybody knows is a problem. You know what we do? We don't. We talk about them around the water cooler. We talk about them with the with the wives and husbands at home. But nobody does go does anything about them on the job, and they last forever. That's the status quo. That's what's got to go. We got to get people out of the way who are causing the problems. I got to ask you before the break, and we will go macro, micro in just a bit. We're going to do more macro after the break. <laughs> but um, one of the facilities cited in this Inspector General's report that had 
the worst problem. They said there are about four of them. Downstate was singled out as the absolute worst. Set closed now. Okay. Attica was on the list of the worst. Tell me about Attica. You visit incarcerated individuals there. You know what's going on inside that facility. You're worried. Yes. I see what's, go- what's going on now that the potential exists for another Attica rebellion to happen. That department has now taken away everything. They don't follow the law with halt. They've taken visits away in large measure. They've taken packages from home away. They've taken everything. They've taken mail away. They don't even give you your mail. They photocopy your mail and give it to you. How, how, how ridiculous is that? I don't get the fiscal. Let me tell you something. When I was incarcerated, one of the great things was getting off of my bed to walk to the gate to pick up mail that I smelled before I got Mm. there because my wife had her scent on there. You don't smell that from Xerox copies. But aren't they trying to implicitly say, we have control over you. We even have control to the point that we can photocopy your mail. Yes. And if... If, if, Slavery. I, if I'm regularly saying to you, I have control over you, you are more likely to be controlled by something like photocopies and mail than having to use a, a nightstick or worse. No, you're not controlling me. You're causing me more angst and anger. I'm not getting better. I'm getting more bitter. You're taking my contact from the outside world. You're, you're eviscerating me as a human being. While you change my name from inmate to incarcerated individual, I am still a slave. All right. We'll get back into it uh, more after the break. Jerome Wright is here. He's the one of the state directors of the HALT Solitary Campaign. He's looking at a new report that came out. Again, we'll, we'll put this out on a, a Twitter in just a little bit or a tweet. Uh, a New York State Inspector General's report earlier this month found that uh, black and Hispanic individuals, incarcerated individuals, were more likely to be disciplined than white incarcerated individuals. More to come. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Do you absolutely love Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, PBS NewsHour, great performances, and other amazing shows on WNED-PBS? But you're not always in front of your TV when they're on. Don't miss them. You can stream the channel live wherever you are in Western New York by visiting WNED.org live or use the WNED-PBS app. Happy holidays from WBFO. Listen online, tell your smart speaker to play WBFO, or listen on your phone or radio. WBFO is here for you wherever you are, day and night. Interested in inspiring and informing future generations through the programming provided by WBFO? A gift through your will or estate plan is a wonderful legacy to leave our community. For more information, visit wned.org legacy or contact Colleen Miller at cmiller at wned.org. Thank you. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And this is Dave Debo. We are continuing our discussion with Jerome Wright. He's one of the coordinators of the statewide Halt Solitary Campaign. 
Up till now in the program, we've been talking quite a bit about a recent Inspector General's report from New York State that says black and Hispanic incarcerated individuals are a lot more likely, about 22 percent more likely, to be disciplined than white incarcerated individuals in New York State facilities. Can we add a caveat? Sure. Put an the asterisk. caveat is that they're saying for the same behavior, the same All right. events. So yeah. they are measuring at least with the same yardstick across the board. Yeah, but it's not measuring up because black and brown are, are disproportionately being impacted. All right. Just like in society. Let's do it again. Well, but let's talk more about society. Let's let's do the macro. Before yes. the break, we talked about it. Uh, let, let's shove the report aside for a little bit, and let's just talk about the conditions and the system uh, in correctional facilities. And I know you have a problem with that word. Mm-hmm. Correctional. Yes. Yeah, correct. Why well, call it a correctional facility? What's being corrected? There is no, first of all, the whole idea of rehabilitation is a misnomer. Rehabilitation is when you have something, it gets hurt, and you bring it back to where it used to be. You're talking about people didn't have anything to begin with. So how? Are you, what are you rehabilitating to? And what services are you getting to habilitate them? There is no education. There's no real vocation. they just getting college back on a, on a small scale. But again, where is the real help? The communities that are the safest in America are the ones with the most resources. The jails that run the best are the ones with the most programming, the most therapeutic and treatment environments, and have an administration who is proactive and progressive, not reactive and restrictive. And you know of what you speak because of your personal story. Because of 30-plus years of being incarcerated for a crime I did commit. Uh, I, I apologize for that as, as often as I can, and I, I hope my life exemplifies that, my remorse for about the things that I do, like speaking out now about the conditions that create an environment that what shouldn't be created. You're talking about corrections. What is being corrected? Why are we calling it that? 30 years. Yeah, 30 that- years. I don't even know how to react to that. That's an incredibly long time, Jerome. Yes, That's a generation. If you look in the dictionary, they, 30 years is considered a generation. So I spent a generation from my from 18 to 48 years old incarcerated. But what I saw during that is what's in that report. And it's a shame that the inspector general coming out with that in 2002, within 1990, that report was written then because of the case of Santiago versus Miles. Tell me more about that court case. You were involved in it. So uh, myself and several other incarcerated individuals were plaintiffs in a lawsuit against the Department of Corrections, specifically Elmira Correctional Facility, for disciplinary. Is that where you were? That's where I was. And so we testified in court. I was assaulted here in Erie County for testifying. Regardless, we won the suit because the judge found out that there was credible evidence, just like the inspector general found out again, that the racism is so pervasive that it manifests itself in something like discipline, not just discipline, housing. You go to any honor dorm, which they call honor housing. And the honor housing is? Is where you get more amenities. More privileges. More privileges. Special, okay. special privileges. The ratio will be 85% white people and mixture of everybody else in a facility that will be 85 or 90% black people. Hmm. You go to certain dorms that or housing units that are considered the best by cleanliness, size of cell and every amenities. They're going to be populated by white people. If you go to whether it's discipline, housing, employment, 
There are jobs that me, a black man, in a facility couldn't get. Why? How? Because I'm black. They won't have me working in Elmira on the on the on the main floor. That that's a, that was if you went to the program committee and said I wanted that job, they laugh at you. They might write you up for being insolent wow. and, and, and send you to solitary. I, you, I'm telling you the God's honest truth. Man, my life is an open book. I have nothing to hide and nothing to lie about. This system is rotten from the core, and the status quo has got to go. That means from the top to the bottom, we need to reshape this. And I would imagine that you're not just talking about New York State. To my mind, no. the whole idea of prisons is contrary to what you would like to see. Yes, because, listen, people need resources. If you give people resources, they will do good. If you let me say Aristotle said this, not me. He said, poverty is the parent to rebellion and crime. Say that again. Poverty is the parent of the twins rebellion and crime. Wherever you have poverty, you're going to have rebellion and you're going to have crime. Okay, so that speaks to the idea that we need more community programs on the front end. What kind of reform do we need in the, we again, need, I don't want to say correctional because you don't like the, yeah, the phrase, well, but in the system? We First of all, again, we need to remove what's currently there. We really do. We need to excise that out because you, you can't change that. that. That is a culture. Just like we had a culture here, the holding center with Tim Howard, the sheriff, that permeated, allowed things that happened under his watch with, with impunity for staff? Oh, I don't know if there was impunity. I know the U.S. Department of Justice got involved. I know that the State Community of Corrections oh, right. slapped him on the wrist several times. Listen, we're talking about people's lives and we slap him on the wrist. We got people in there who dying. Since when being arrested, was we don't have the death penalty in New York. We got people right. dying. And the holding center, too, we, we must uh, mention, is not filled with guilty people. No, this is what I'm saying. This is where you wait for your trial to def- to decide innocence or guilt. That's the most egregious part of this. That you don't. And then we've had plenty of people die in there and find out later later that they were totally innocent. Which means had they not been put in there and tortured to death or whatever happened, mis- neglected, then they would be all right. And stuff. What would it take to get the kind of reforms that you'd like? That it sounds like you're you're recommending a wholesale top-to-bottom attitude change. And I imagine that that involves not just personnel, but probably a change in the facilities, too, in, in, in their physical structure, in everything top-to-bottom. Um, you're asking for, for more than I think they would be able to do, right? Not, not able. you got to be willing. willing. To, you got to be willing to do some things because if you're willing, we're able to do anything. We're getting ready to put people on Mars. You're telling me we can't fix a problem right here? And why go up there? If we can? Yeah. We're spending billions of dollars to fix people, to go to, to a planet that most of us will never visit. And we can't put that same amount of money, a, a fraction of that money, into correcting this system? You can't tell me that. You can't tell me we're saying in the whole patriot. We've, we've given Ukraine, which I, I applaud their fight for freedom over there, and I, I would join them in that fight. But they gotten $400, $500 billion in aid from this country, and the east side can't get a million dollars for a, a, a nonprofit organization to run like a, 50, like, like a real 501c should run or like these other corporations that are headed by 
white people. This is what I'm saying. There's no difference out there. You, macro, micro. The higher you go up in this country, the whiter it gets. No difference. Do we need a, a, a pilot facility or do we just strike down all the existing ones? Uh, we don't need a pilot. We, we need to stop what we're doing right now and, and, and rethink this. And it's not a thing where do what Jerome says. We have a community. Yeah, no, I, I realize you But we have brilliant minds in our communities, both with experience and both with really professionalism. They need to be coming together saying, this is how we fix the problem. I have some personal fixes. The Hawk, listen, follow the Hawk law. That's one of the first fixes. Stop torturing people and follow the law. How can the lawmakers become the lawbreakers? That's what we got now. You won't follow the laws that are currently in place. So why would I think that if we change something, Something's going to change because you're not following the laws now. That's what I'm saying. We need real change. And that means fundamental change from the top down because it has to be a culture like the culture we've allowed it to breed to, this racist one. We can breed a more holistic culture. Are you an optimist? If we were having this conversation again in a year, do you think there would be different things to talk about, change? I am an eternal optimist. And I think that we can tackle some things right now, and there are things that are going to take time. You know, change is not overnight. It is a process. But let's begin the process in earnest. Let's excise what the problem is now and start working on the solutions. So you think it can be done? Anything can be done. Again, we're getting ready to go to the Mars. Well, like, okay. I keep telling you, bang, sure. like, like, think, of, think of this. Ralph Crandall said, bang, zoom to the moon. <laughs> 2022, we can, we can ready to go to Mars. All right, I'll give you another one. JFK, we will go to Mar, uh, the moon in the next decade, and we will do the things you know, that are hard, the whole idea. Yep. That declaration by the higher-ups comes down. See, that's the only trickle-down we really need, that people from the top start caring about everybody bottom-up. All right, where do people get more information on Halt Solitary? New York CAIC.org? Yes. What yes. does that stand for? That's uh, coalition for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement. So we call it CAIC for short, C-A-I-C. N-Y-C-A-I-C dot org. Yes, yes, yes. Jerome, thanks a lot. No, Glad you were here. Thank you for the discussion. Always a good discussion. We'll have you back. And again, check our Twitter feed at WBFO.org. We'll have the Inspector General's report up there shortly. The status quo has got to go. We need change. We need it now. All right. Very good. You heard it. Coming up next, we'll talk about change in housing. Jay Moran is standing by with Sarah Frazier and Teresa Watson from PUSH. More to come. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. There are a lot of great ways to spend $8 a month and get a blue check mark. So why not become a member of WBFO, your NPR station? You'll be a verified member on the spot, and your money will support high-quality news and information. For fun, we'll send you a snazzy window cling and a travel mug, both with our logo and the blue check mark that shows everyone you're a verified member of WBFO. Just call 1-877-456-8870 or go to WBFO.org to make your pledge. Thank you. Get all the trusted local news you need right to your inbox each weekday morning with the WBFO daily email. Visit WBFO.org to sign up today. Our region is home to some of the finest communities in the world. Explore them through the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel today. This is Buffalo What's Next. 
where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. Uh, Thanks very much for joining us. My name is Jay Moran. Uh, For the next half hour, we're going to talk about housing. And needless to say, in a half an hour, there's not enough time to talk about housing issues. There's a lot to get to, but we're going to break it down to more of a, a specific Uh, element of this in just a moment. Our guest this morning from Push Buffalo, Teresa Watson, who is the housing justice organizer. Hi, Teresa. Hi, everybody. And uh, Sarah Frazier is with us. She is the street team coordinator. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Thank you very much uh, for for joining us here uh, this morning. And like I said, there's a a lot to talk about when Mm -hmm. it comes to housing, and we can get into so much. And I don't necessarily want to water down what we're doing here today uh, by getting into too many issues right now, but there are some key issues we want to get into. And we're going to talk about the um, Tenants Bill of Rights that's being proposed mm-hmm. by Push Buffalo, an interesting document. But before we get into the specifics of that, I want to talk about the realities of living in the city of Buffalo. 60% mm-hmm. of people that live in the city of Buffalo are renters, correct? Correct. That is true. Yeah. Well, I will I will admit we round up by about 0.3%. It okay. is actually f- like 59.7 or something like that. Um, as of the, the most recent census data, it may have even gone up with the recent crisis in housing and costs. Um, but yeah, roughly 60% of the city is renters. And that's something that I think we we don't recognize a lot. We don't think of the uh, tenants as a majority of the population um, by a long shot, right? And uh, there are a lot of reasons for that, right? We prioritize homeownership as a society for a lot of reasons, but then that creates a, a false dichotomy, right? So tenants, um, tenants deserve the same rights and protections and quality of life as anybody else. And to be a tenant is not a failing, right? I am a tenant. I and, am a tenant. Yeah. I really enjoy being a tenant. I don't know how to fix a roof. I don't <laughs> know how to snake my drains. <laughs> I enjoy that, you know, that I can have a responsible small local landlord who does actually come and do repairs as needed. But unfortunately, that is not the reality for the vast majority of us. And that was what I was going to get into there, Teresa, is just that, that idea that, okay, sure, okay, you're a renter and it's going to be hassle-free renting, <laughs> right? But that's not necessarily the case. And, and Sarah, part of your street team, you went out and canvassed about this uh, Tenant Bill of Rights. And so you met with thousands of people who Correct. live in the city of Buffalo. Take me through, if you could, just a couple of the stories of the types of things that people are dealing with as renters in the city of Buffalo. So um, a lot of we went over the course of um, the summer, we canvassed over a thousand doors, thousands, thousands of mm-hmm. doors, and some of the stories that we heard on the doors were um, the 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 single mother of three children that is living in the lower apartment of a, a two family home, okay. and the top porch is falling. You can literally see the beans and see where it's broken. She's afraid to let her children come outside and play on the porch. 
she lives on a very busy street. So there is no place for them to actually go down on the grass and play and things of that nature. So they're stuck in the house. Yeah, and you also told me that not only that, but as you're going onto the porch of many homes in the city of Buffalo, um, which are apartments in these cases or flats or whatever the case may be, some of those porches um, are We're dangerous. unsafe, extremely unsafe. Um, there were times when we actually weren't able to get up on the porch and we ended up having to meet the tenant at like the back door or something of that nature in order to speak with them, in order to get information from them and have them sign the postcard because of the fact that we were afraid we were going to fall through the porch. And this is where people are living. Right. I definitely developed the habit of testing the steps. I'm about a 200-pound person. I would test the steps before Mm -hmm. I would go up if they looked a little suspicious. And I broke myself of the habit of using railings because none of the railings... Maybe not none, but very few are secure. And so I would actually, I would touch the railing. The railing would move. I would feel unstable. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I just, I don't use railings anymore. Right. (laughs) So you're tiptoeing your way up through these porches to try to talk to people. You said, if I'm not mistaken, what, 1,200 people, when you were going out canvassing, you Mm -hmm. had these postcards, not necessarily just from the street team, but also from other events and things like that. Mm -hmm. 1,200 people responded to your, uh, to, with those postcards and sent them back to you? That's, I mean, that's, a, that's an astounding number of, of people who had issues, obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and were, gen- they generated enough, um, enough energy in the sense that they wanted to do something about it. They sent these postcards, and that says to me a lot about, uh, mm-hmm. if that's just a, a capsule of the renters in the city of Buffalo, that says a lot about the way a renter feels about their current situation. Yes, and so we... We collected the majority of them on the doors. We did the street team, of course, was canvassing, and all our members as well, people volunteering their time, um, multiple different evenings and weekends. Uh, we had folks going out every week. A couple canvases were running with members as well as with the street team. And we did collect over 1,200 signed postcards from across the city. And th- those were all tenants, some landlord or some, excuse me, not landlords, but some some smaller homeowners. homeowners, especially we would hear from folks who would say, I own my home, but my daughter is in a horrible situation or my son is he's couch surfing right now. He stays with me sometimes and sometimes with friends closer to his job because he's working, but he can't find anywhere he can afford. So Mm -hmm. we would, or sometimes you would talk to a homeowner who would say, you know, the people that live next door to me, they're great, but I know the person who owns it isn't keeping it up. And I'm getting rats in my house because that landlord won't take care of the property. Correct. And they would know that it wasn't the tenant's fault because those tenants had been there for three or four months and the problems had been going on for years. So this this is something too that we would see very often something we hear blamed on tenants as if it is their fault that the building itself has become infested through neglect. When a, t- a tenant, a renter, complains about the situation and try and gets in a dispute with the landlord or whatever the case may be, what is sometimes the response they get when they say, okay, you know, my plumbing's not working, I don't have running water, my pipes are contaminated, what is sometimes the response they get? At least you have somewhere to live. At least you have somewhere to live. At least you have a roof over your head. 
whether the roof is falling through. A tacit <laughs> threat of homelessness. Correct. And I think that it can be followed up by not just a tacit threat, but a genuine threat. A genuine threat. So, yeah, take me through that. Take me through the how that might work. Mm-hmm. If somebody, okay, I, I, I'm done dealing with this electric issue in my in my my apartment. I'm not mm-hmm. paying this rent. Yes. Or I'm I'm you know I'm, I'm going to take you to housing court or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. What sometimes happens beyond that? Yes. So I think whether or not a tenant is withholding rent, which is of course their legal right, but there are very specific ways that a tenant needs to do that. Sure. Many folks do not know. Um, that you need to have your money in escrow when you go to housing court or you will not be respected by the housing court judge, frankly. Um, so will would, they automatically d- dismiss your case? Yeah, they will yes. functionally say that uh, it looks like you just didn't feel like paying because you don't have the money here, so you were never willing to pay, so it must not be about the repairs. And, and mm-hmm. that happens to far too many people. So I would really encourage folks that Neighborhood Legal Services has several really great PDFs just up online that you can read on how to properly withhold your rent so that you protect yourself. I will say that um, is just like as an aside. Sure. But before you, whether or not people are doing it in the quote unquote correct ways, because we know that when you're dealing with a longstanding issue, you're frustrated, you've been telling this landlord about it for maybe months um, and getting no response, then maybe you do withhold, maybe you don't. Either way, you are not actually protected as a tenant. Your ability to stay in your home is not guaranteed. So there's um, something called a 30 or a 60 or sometimes a 90 day notice. So in 2019, the laws changed and people, depending on how long they've been in their home, get slightly more time than just 30 days to be exited from their apartment, but nobody gets more than 90 days to find a new home under the law because a landlord has the right at any time to turn people out without a court process, without any need for legal paperwork, um, without any kind of government oversight. They just can say, uh, even though you're a tenant in good standing, even though perhaps your rent is up to date or perhaps you're withholding one month of rent from me or half a month's rent, Mm -hmm. which amounts to $500 or something like that. um, I, as the landlord, as the owner of this unit, have decided to exit you. And there is nothing that a tenant can do about that. Once you have received this notice to vacate, you're done. There's, There's... there's nothing that a legal provider can do to protect you. And so that is where I say organizing comes in. But one of the solutions that we know tenants need um, is good cause. And that's a policy that we're pushing for at both the state and the local level. And we'll certainly want to get, to, get into that as mm-hmm. we get into mm-hmm. the second part of our program. We're going to talk about that Tenant Bill of Rights. But just before we go uh, to our break here, Sarah, can you maybe give me a, a description, perhaps, of a place... Pick a pick a neighborhood mm-hmm. and uh, and a price that you saw and you could not believe that somebody was paying this much for this type of property. There were in the Broadway Market area um, a lot of the canvases that we did down there. Rents were twelve hundred dollars, thirteen hundred dollars, to piggyback off of Teresa's story. So then the landlord then comes to this point 
of kicking this tenant out because they were they are withholding because they're not getting the repairs done that they need to have done. This landlord then takes it upon themselves and hikes up the rent mm -hmm. for the next person to move in. And because of the fact that there are not enough houses in mm -hmm. our city for people to be safe and secure mm -hmm. or think that they're going to be safe and secure, they can charge $1,500 for these mm -hmm. units. And, that... and people are breaking their necks to pay this. Mm -hmm. I can think of one one woman that I met in the in the Broadway Fillmore neighborhood. Mm -hmm. She's a, a single mom. She's living on the first floor of one of those classic Buffalo duplexes. You mm -hmm. know, I'm sure we can all picture, right? Right. Um, and instead of a window, she has put the lid of a Rubbermaid tote up um, in the window directly next to her door. And she told me that she had, in fact, even bought the glass for her landlord to replace the window after it got busted out. But over a month later, he still had not replaced it. So this is a single woman living on a first floor with a visibly busted out window, having to put pieces of plastic over her window to try to keep herself safe. And the landlord is refusing to repair it. It's not exactly the uh, classic look at a Buffalo duplex that we want to dream about, <laughs> no. right, for sure. We're going to talk a lot more about this as we go into our second half of our, our time here with Teresa Watson and also uh, Sarah Frazier from Push Buffalo. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Do you absolutely love Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, PBS NewsHour, great performances, and other amazing shows on WNED-PBS? but you're not always in front of your TV when they're on. Don't miss them. You can stream the channel live wherever you are in Western New York by visiting wned.org live or use the WNED PBS app. Happy holidays from WBFO. Listen online, tell your smart speaker to play WBFO or listen on your phone or radio. WBFO is here for you wherever you are day and night. Our region is home to some of the finest communities in the world. Explore them through the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel today. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. Uh, we're talking with Teresa Watson and Sarah Frazier from uh, Push Buffalo this morning. Push Buffalo has put together a tenant bill of rights. This is a, a fascinating document that looks and covers a lot of different issues. And just like the Bill of Rights that we've all become familiar with and attached to the U.S. Constitution, there are 10 in there. We're not necessarily going to go through all 10 right now, mm -hmm. uh, but I think we can maybe put that off for a later uh, a program, but uh, there are a couple of key elements here that we most certainly want to get into right now. And one of them is, what is it called? The um, uh, good uh, cause eviction. Is that how, do I have that right? It yes. is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Uh, and so I and, will, and this was, if I if I'm not mistaken, this when you got these postcards back, this was the number one issue mm-hmm. from the people who decided to give you input on this out of 1,200 people, 1,200 responses. This was yes. the number one that they said this is needed. Yes, I yes. think at, at the doors we heard a lot about the lack of repairs, the retaliation because when you don't have good cause. Uh, a landlord, instead of repairs, can hit you with a 30-day notice without any trouble and then just move in a tenant who's going to complain less. But what we what we did is we were hearing from our electeds over and over, no matter how many times we brought these issues to them, no matter how bad the housing situation got, that 10 was too many rights to move forward, um, that, that this was too big a package. So we invited everybody who had signed postcards. We invited tenants from across the city of Buffalo to come to something we called the Tenant Power Summit. And, and there, tenants voted on the rights that were most important okay. to them. Mm-hmm. Good Cause was the absolute breakaway r- winner. Um, the other three were uh, a right to timely repairs, which, again, you cannot enforce a right to repairs if you cannot enforce that someone has a right to stay in their home. Because um, they could be threatened or, in essence, kicked out. Uh, yes. Favor. Correct. Okay. And that that is one of the most common stories we hear about mm-hmm. retaliatory evictions, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um and, and then, of course, the right to a rent relief fund and the right to a rent stabilization component. And since good cause includes that component of stabilization, it puts a cap on the rent increase that can be put on a building without you know, significant repairs. It essentially um, encapsulates two out of the four that people found were most important and, again, was the breakaway winner. So good cause eviction really does not mean that nobody can ever be evicted. It simply means that a tenant in good standing, a tenant who is up to date on their rent, a tenant who is not smoking inside of a non-smoking building, who gets along with their neighbors, and who isn't running an illegal puppy mill out of the bathroom, right, right? is not doing anything to violate the terms of their lease, they have a right to stay there. And it does not change any of the existing you know, processes for legally evicting somebody through the courts whatsoever. It simply means that a tenant should have a right to stability. Correct. Um, are there other communities that have uh, used this uh, good cause eviction uh, law? Have they uh, implemented it? Do we hear about this? Yes. yes. Oh, really? Uh, yes. yes. So the entire state of so New Jersey it, has a... had it for years. Okay. Um, the entire state of Jersey. Um, and there are also several municipalities across Buffalo that have implemented it. Albany, Poughkeepsie, Kingston. Um, and we are fighting for this to be passed at the state level as well. So it is, of course, a local fight because I'm a local girl. I'm not going to lie. Right. Uh, my heart is <laughs> Buffalo. Uh, but the state needs these protections just as much. Um, and this is so this is something that we are fighting for at both the local and the state levels, because for New York State to have good cause evictions would protect everyone that needs it. Sarah, if you don't mind, um you told me a little bit off air about your your uh, personal situation um, for a few years back, and I don't you don't necessarily have to get into all of it. You're welcome to do so, but mm-hmm. but this good uh, 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 cause eviction mm-hmm. clause would it have helped you? A hundred percent. I had gotten behind on rent three months um, because of a, um, a sickness at work and. Um, I was evicted, essentially, because I could never catch up. 
okay. because the rent is just too dang high. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And this was in the, uh, 2016. Um, and with that, I ended up having to move into a shelter with my eight-year-old son at the time. Um, I stayed in the shelter, thank God, for 30 days. I didn't have to go past the 30 days because I was able to get into a program through Catholic Charities that was essentially a tenant rehab program, so to speak, like where the eviction wouldn't count against me. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they would help me get stabilized in this apartment. So they helped me get in with, you know, um, help me with my, um, my security deposit Mm -hmm. and finding a place that was safe and affordable. And And then from there, I was able to, you know, maybe get back on my feet, but I'm still a tenant. Yeah. Well, and if I can say, you know, Sarah's invited me into her home because she's gracious and lovely and she's created this beautiful home for herself and her son that just really showcases her personality. Um, And I'm so glad that you have that I will and I'll say that while that case that you have uh that you had right Mm -hmm. Uh, of falling behind on rent might not have protected you necessarily under good cause because falling behind on rent is a reason to evict it also gives space for interventions so we know that there are many not-for-profits who are without any help from mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. city, yes. uh, providing things like legal services. And so sometimes people are evicted for several hundred dollars, and all that they would need is a small loan or the chance to go before a judge and argue for a payment plan. Correct. And so people who are behind never get a chance to catch up if you're evicted. But if somebody is only behind two months rent and your rent is still reasonable, let's say, I don't know, 800 because that's reasonable now, that's $1,600. But if you put that at $300 a month for several months, you can be caught up mm-hmm. and you just need the chance to go before a judge and say, this is what I can do, right? And so, or the chance for a, a local not-for-profit to give the, that small loan that small financial intervention Mm -hmm. in order to keep somebody stable in a home. And that is another point where we'll be able to create interventions and get landlords, frankly, their money. Right. 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 Which is, which of course essentially is is what they want. Yes, of course. Uh, This is, as we're talking here, this, this is coming to to my mind in a city where 60% of the people are renters and you're trying to get this legislation passed, whether it's all 10 or maybe just one or two or three mm-hmm. of the Bill of Rights, are renters voters? Are they are they pushing elected officials? The, you know, there are people that are supposed to be rent, uh, representing them. Are they is there a push are, or is there something lacking in that regard? I and mean, tell me tell me about that. I mean, is that I mean, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is can an elected official just basically ignore the concerns of renters. They are calling into their offices. Mm-hmm. They are writing letters. They are testifying at different summits that we've held. Sarah, can I ask, you did some voter registration with yes. the youth as well. Yes. And what did we find that the majority of folks, even tenants, said that they were already registered and okay. were active voters. Right. Correct. Um, and so I think that there might be a, a mischaracterization um, that people think tenants move around so much and they're not registered to vote. I 
I re-register every time, but I have been in the same district, even though I've had many apartments. I've moved about an average of once a year for my entire adult life. Um, mm -hmm. I have been in the Niagara district for seven years, and I and that is my home, right? And I am always a voter there. And I would say that this is, to me, this is the moment. The crisis, the housing crisis has never been worse than it is. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that tenants are the majority. So we have an opportunity for tenants to speak to the Common Council coming up this Tuesday, the 20th at 1 p.m. Okay. Yeah. Right. It, is it um, a special committee session? Or? It is a committee session. It's the Community Development Committee. We So PUSH submitted an item. Um, so it's just functionally a letter mm -hmm. um, demanding action. Mm -hmm. And we uh, were able to get three minutes per person. Everybody should go to the um, City of Buffalo website okay. to sign up to speak for the Community Development Committee at 1 p.m. on the 20th of December. So that's next Tuesday in order to get your voice heard and come ready to tell your story as a tenant because locally you never have more power and your story is never more impactful. Than, than when you are talking to the representative of your small district, the person who is supposed to be watching out for the interests of you and your neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is that's what we are asking folks to do is to come and make sure that our local electeds know that you vote. We know that you pay attention. And we know that we are the majority of the city. And it's time to get our voices heard. Sarah, mm -hmm. are you going to speak? Yes, I am. What are you going to say? I am, you don't have three minutes right now, but right, uh, yeah. right, no, <laughs> sorry. So it's fine, no. But I will be speaking to uh, the fact that I'm going to touch on the point that I, at one point, was a homeowner in 2005, and because I could not get the funding that I needed, um, you know, a block away, in order to get my house rehabbed because my roof was falling in, that I ended up becoming a tenant, and in that, that shows that. This Tenant Bill of Rights is not against homeowners. We are looking to expand these rights so that everybody can be covered, but 60% mm -hmm. are, are tenants. So that's yeah. the majority, and that is what we're concentrated on. And then I'll be speaking to the fact that um, just in the neighborhoods, the stories that I hear from my family members, the stories I hear on the doors, and how it just doesn't work the way things are right now. Mm -hmm. And I think homeownership is not, it's not necessarily a permanent status. Correct. Right? Becoming a tenant is very easy. Yes. Um, and, and people deserve safety and stability in their homes no matter no what. No matter what. So that's next Tuesday. Next yes. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Whether you're a renter or just a concerned citizen of the mm -hmm. City of Buffalo, Correct. sign up at the City of Buffalo website. Yep, mm -hmm. for the Community Development Committee. Community Development Committee next Tuesday at 1 o'clock and yep. have your voice heard. be heard. Thank you. Well, thank you very thank much, you so much for, having us. for joining us. I'm looking forward to having more conversations about housing. There's a lot mm -hmm. to talk about, isn't there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, we're just scratching the surface here, and we do appreciate. Barely. This is not even a scratch. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Thank you. Sarah Thank Frazier. You so Sarah Frazier is the street team coordinator for Push Buffalo. Teresa Watson is the housing justice organizer. Thank you very much for your time and your stories this morning on Buffalo What's Next. Thank you. This has been Buffalo What's Next. We're back with you again tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock right here on your NPR station in Western New York, WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. <laughs>